Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, we're talking about students who are just testing the waters with piano lessons. Today, beautiful teachers, we're joined by Carmen Carpenter, who is one of our staff writers and editors at Vibrant Music. We'll be chatting about those students who are not yet committed to taking lessons and how best to bring them around. Welcome back to the show, Carmen. Hi, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you here. So first, I'd love you to just set the scene for us, because I can picture this (laughs) after reading your (laughs) notes, for sure. We received this call, or maybe an email from a prospective piano parent. And at first we're super excited, right? We're thinking, great, this student is gonna fill that spot on Tuesdays that I'm gonna be, that I've been dying to fill for so long. And then they say this phrase, what's the phrase, Carmen? Usually it goes something like, oh, we just want Susie to try piano and see what she thinks. Right. It's usually something like that. You know, they've tried all the things. They've been in karate. They've been in dance. And so we're just going to see what we think about piano now. That's usually kind of how that conversation goes. (laughs) Absolutely. And it makes our heart just sink, right? Well, most of us. Yeah, just a little. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's great that they've added music to the list of things that they want to try. And I love that part of it. And and I try to be understanding because yes, as I describe, you know, my son was one of these, these children who tried all the things. And so I try to be understanding about that. And I do usually try to take a mindset of I'm, I'm going to win them over. They're going to love it. Right. So my tendency is to go ahead and take that student with the mindset that it's a challenge that I can face. I can make them love it. Yeah, absolutely. I think this type of student, though, they're not necessarily right for every teacher. It is definitely it's not something that would be an ultimate red flag for me either. But for some teachers, maybe it should be. So what type of teacher, what characteristics would you say means maybe you shouldn't take the just giving it a try student. Well, I do think, so my jam is beginners and young students. And so I do tend to be more open to the giving it a try, but I, but there are teachers out there that their expertise is in intermediate players, K 
kids working towards college degrees and music and things like that. So that teacher probably would not want to pick up a giving it a try student because that isn't really their area of expertise. And I love that. I think that's great that we all have our thing. And so if it's not your thing, I think it's very much okay to say, yeah, you're, you need to go to so-and-so down the street. Who's great at that category of teaching. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think with these students, the main issue is, is nothing to do with the students as is often the case, right? It's the parents mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking about. And I'd say the other type of teacher that may just want to, you know, choose not to take on this student is those teachers who have, say, a very strict practice contract or that kind of approach mm-hmm. to practice in the beginning where they don't want to have to convince the parents into practicing, which is yeah. something some of us had to do over the first year. But they just want to say, look, they have to practice. If they don't practice, they're out. That parent is just not going to go for that hardline approach right from the beginning because they're not on board. It's not really about the student being on board, is it? It's, I mean, any child can love music, but it's about the parent having that commitment. So, Right. Uh, Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I have to say yes, again, for myself. I encourage practice, I do practice incentives, I do all of that. But when they come to lessons and have practiced very little, I am generally not bothered by that. And so I do, I am not the hard and fast, if you don't practice, you're out teacher. But again, some are, and I think that that is okay. I think that's absolutely fine. And, yeah. and I think that some children and parents want that. They want that teacher to guide that, encourage that, and really, really move that child in that way towards a more disciplined approach. And I think that is, yeah, I think that's okay too. And I think those parents and those teachers will find each other, you know, and I think that's good. Absolutely. And I think it's all about your values as a teacher and there's no... Mm-hmm wrong way but if you value progress like if that is your Mm -hmm. core thing is I want these students to be excellent sort of as quickly as possible in a well-rounded way there's nothing wrong with that but that's not me and I don't think that's you either Carmen because it isn't what am I (laughs) core values is inclusivity and if you take that as the core well then you have to work with parents who don't yet know that they're going to need to work with their child and practice with them and all that kind of thing. Okay, right. so that's some of the no's, I guess. But let's talk about the pros and cons. And let's start with the pros to turn this around and make it more positive. What are some of the good things about these types of students? Well, I do think they're open, right? Because they're, they've been open to all these different things. They are open-minded towards music. And they might be more willing to try new things and i think that they also really love games you know these are the these are the kids that when you play the games with them they are going to just love them all they're going to want to take them home they're going to want to check them out of your game library they love that stuff i think that these kids are often more active And I personally love that. I love to play get up and move kind of games. Let's not just sit. Let's move to the beat. Let's do some things like that. And I I do find that 
that type of kid is usually a more active child. And I like that too. So yeah, I mean, generally I have good experiences with the just giving it a try kid, the Tommy the Toe Dipper, definitely. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think in a way it can be a really gratifying experience for you as a teacher too. If you take on this student who wasn't really sure about it, who maybe from, you know, from these other things, we can guess that maybe the parent didn't study music in a big way growing Mm -hmm. up themselves. And that can be enormously rewarding if then, you know, you make piano their thing because you're so fun or you approach it the right way for them. Right. Oh, definitely. It is. And I have had a few convert to long-term students that were just giving it a try. You know, I, like I said, I've generally had good experiences with them. I've only had one or two that just from the get-go, it was obvious that the just giving it a try was for real for them. And after you know, just a few weeks or a couple months, you're like, yeah, this is really not connecting with them, you know, and they don't last. So I like probably everybody have had a few that after just a few months are like, yeah, this isn't going well for us. And so, and I would say too, that that is another consideration is in your schedule. Are you willing to let that take up a spot? And are you comfortable with having then a little empty spot for a while till the next one comes along? And so maybe it depends too on your wait list. You know, who's on your wait list? (laughs) Yeah, I guess if you can pick and choose more, you you can pick and choose. But I would say even you've had a few of those students who maybe have quit. We've all had a few students who have quit, you know, It's, it's not exclusive to to parents who say this or who seem slightly less committed if we educate them in the right way there can be all sorts of reasons why parents might be more likely to pull their Mm -hmm. students out of lessons earlier i mean they could be more price sensitive or more this or more that so this is just Mm -hmm. one area so what are some of the cons or the things maybe we should watch out for with these students Well, some of the things that I mentioned were um, like subpar instruments. I would say that's probably one area that's a little bit concerning. Either they don't have a good instrument, like it needs to be tuned or (laughs) totally maybe just set by the curb, I don't know. Or they have like a small keyboard. One of the things I find particularly when I was doing online lessons, during the early part of the pandemic and you see what's happening at home and you see that they're playing with their keyboard on the ground yep (laughs) sitting you know on the floor you're just like they could practically just lay down and play their keys (laughs) and so i think that's a big con is like what what is the situation at home and i'm open on that too like if they have a keyboard that is not touch sensitive or weighted keys, I'm usually open to that, at least at the beginning. But it does, I think, also affect their enjoyment of it, right? It, like if they are not able to hear that dynamic contrast at home, that, eh, it doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound good. Or if they don't have a pedal, 
I mean, gee whiz, there's just so much beauty and richness that the pedal adds that when you don't have it, you're like, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound like it does at Mrs. Carpenter's house, you know, or whatever. And that can be, I think, just demoralizing for a kid. And so I do think that's a big con is that instrument. Yeah, I'd say that's a big thing that often goes along with this type of statement from a parent or similar Mm -hmm. things they might say or just in isolation it kind of symbolizes that they do think they're just giving it a try if they haven't invested in some kind of a decent instrument. Mm -hmm. The other thing that might go along with it is that they just don't know that that's even a factor. So I would be very careful that you have had, you know, no matter what my students or their parents say in initial emails and phones, I hope phone contact I always have an interview with them Mm -hmm. or a meeting or a meet and greet whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. uh, before they start and that's where I lay out look what's your instrument at home can you give me a specific model if it's electronic because you know they'll often say oh yeah yeah it's definitely weighted it's a good one it's a good it's good yeah (laughs) you know we were given it by so and so and he knows about music so it should be good and then you say okay give me the model and it's like 16 keys they're not even full-size keys (laughs) right that's that's a midi keyboard that's not meant for practice so yeah this is where I might take a slightly more hard line I guess approach just Mm. because I've seen so many times if I let students start with that little midi keyboard not saying Mm. they have to have something fantastic but it does have to be touch sensitive of full size and I need to be very clear in the beginning that that's going to have to be upgraded within six months and keep following up on that and reminding them like hey I know it's a Mm -hmm. a big expense but so are lessons so (laughs) yeah because it just it does it is so demoralizing as you say Mm -hmm. it's it really holds students back and it means they don't get the chance to really give it a try it's not really giving it a try is it Mm -hmm. Right. And it affects technique. So if they do want to convert to a long-term student, that technique doesn't happen. Like I li- I still have one that I keep encouraging those parents to upgrade. And I'll even put on their like yearly progress report when it comes to technique. I really can't even give you a bead mm-hmm. on technique for your child because you have still not upgraded your keyboard. And I keep trying to be as forceful as I could be without being mean about it, right? But that that one is, yes, I think probably way up there at the top of the cons on this. Yeah, because it can just drag on and on, as you said. We have a student who we let start. I made an exception and it took, they just got a piano. I think it's, three years three and a half even we've finally got something and it's just like but we yeah we put it on every report because I think it's our responsibility to be clear not nagging but clear because they don't know how much this is affecting the experience Mm -hmm. and a child can't tell them so right well and I think that's a really good point yeah that their child doesn't know what to say or how to say it yeah I think that Yeah, and technique-wise specifically, they don't understand. I think that there are probably some, every once in a while, I will um, have an extra pedal that I'll send home with them 
so that hopefully they'll be able to experience the joy of that hoping that their parents will then purchase one and i'll send links to places where they can buy those and then they don't and it's always sad you know <laughs> you're like you're yeah. missing out on the the experience <laughs> yeah the pedal is everything okay so let's talk about these students let's say we've decided we're going to take on one of these students what mm. should we start with what's the first kind of or the first list of things or whatever that we should teach Tommy the toe dipper. Do you think it should be different from a student who is super committed, whose parents are saying they're going to practice with them every day? I think it depends on their age, I would say, because I do think if you have a mindset that you're going to try to shoot them through everything pretty quickly, that maybe they should be a little older but I do think it's different in that if I feel like I'm going to have a long-term relationship with that student, I'm going to go deeper and take more time and really make sure that they are reaching all of these things in a really good, solid way before I move to next things. Whereas if they're going to just give it a try, I may take a more cursory view and go through kind of quickly you I would where if I feel like they're going to take a long time with me I will take several weeks on key identification whereas if they're just giving it a try I may take one or two and then hope for the best right hope that they're getting it quickly so that would be yeah the difference so yes I definitely think they need to learn what keys are what I had one just the other day start who's like, I want to know what the white keys are. Just like day one, she wanted to know all the white keys. I'm like, well, we're going to take it kind of one step at a time, right? Definitely they need to know, yeah, what keys are what on a piano. I think at, at least if you think they're really not going to last, I think that using like face gibbity or gibbity face to help them identify notes on the staff is vitally important because those are skills that connect to the other things. So yes, since we know that they're probably also going to be trying to play the violin or the trumpet, then you know they can take that with them. And of course, rhythm, note values. And luckily, you know, in my area, they have music at school. The music at school is really quite good. And most everybody uses some kind of rhythm language, whether it's the, the Kodai rhythm syllables. Oh, there's the other one that's, I'm Tucker not as They do some of that, but in my area, they also, there's a school district that uses the do's and do day. Oh, Gordon. There you go. Thank you. I couldn't remember, but, um, and they're super solid. So that part of it, I don't have to work as hard on in my area because their school teacher has done that for them. And um, so I just need to make sure that they know this is a quarter note. This is, these are an eighth note pair or whatever language you want to use. So those, so yeah, some of the very basic things, finger numbers, and maybe, maybe not. You know, I think different people think differently about the need for knowing your finger numbers right away. And so I think that would might depend on the teacher preference. Yeah, I think... In a way, it's like considering it to be, okay, if I were to teach an eight or 10 week intro to piano course, mm. even if we're 
you could imagine it being in a classroom setting or something what would that look like what would I cover I would give a little taste of all these different things I wouldn't spread it out over the year aiming mm-hmm. to you know have them at this certain level i don't think there's anything wrong with that as a starting point even if they continue i would prefer to take my time and do it my usual way maybe but i think it can be a good challenge for teachers to say okay let's pretend they're only going to stay eight weeks mm-hmm. because they said they're not sure beyond that how can i give them a little bit of a taste entice them you know into piano and then see where it goes from there and then you know they've had a musical experience either way but there, there are many different ways you could approach that. You could teach them the whole staff using facegibity. You could say, no, I'm just going to teach a student by rote. I mean, mm-hmm, there are many right. different ways you could approach it. But thinking of it as an intro to piano mm-hmm. course for that short term, I think, is a useful way to frame it for yourself. Right. And I do think that, yeah, when you approach it that way, teaching by rote is great. And I think teaching some of the well-known pieces like teach them how to play happy birthday, even if they only play it with one finger or twinkle, twinkle, little star with one finger or whatever it might be. Heart and soul. Oh my. Do they love heart and soul in your part of the world? Oh, sure. Yeah. That's universal. <laughs> oh, they love that. And that so came that's up cool. in a, it was in a remix on a reel the other day on Instagram. <laughs> oh, was wow. like heart and soul. Really? Anyway. Oh, yeah. that's funny but you know it's timeless they love it and they feel so successful when they play something like that and that brings up the point of chords I do think and particularly if they are old enough and have big enough hands to at least play fifths Mm. right to giving them some chord knowledge because that that lasts forever they can take that with them forever and play anywhere, anytime and play anything they want, right? They can play any pop song, whatever they like. And I think that's super valuable too. Yeah, absolutely. I think for any members that are listening, if you wanted a place to start with this, to try this kind of approach, and we're talk- if you're talking about an older student, I think you could use the creative kickstart in this way. It's kind of designed mm-hmm. as that. It's like an introduction. You explore lots of different things. There's no reading in that program, but you could introduce it mm-hmm. and mix it up. But it would give you a starting point, and it does go into chords and things like that because it is designed for that slightly older beginner, teens and adults mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Okay. Carmen, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about Tommy and all of his many <laughs> pros and cons and everything we can do to help him succeed at the piano. All right. Thank you. Do you have some Tommy the Toe Dippers in your studio? Write to me on Instagram. We're at Colorful Keys to tell me about it. And I will see you back here on the podcast next week. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it, and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July, and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.